Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome back to the Art of War podcast. This week we've got a very special treat from you. Adam Camilleri, all the way from Australia, is joining us to help interview Nick Nanavati about Harlequins. That's right, we're talking about the insane clown posse of Warhammer 40,000. And that's As right, always, ladies and uh, gentlemen. And interrupting John here, pushing pushing my way into this episode. They've brought in the big guns because we're talking to Nick about his uh, his crazy clowns times. And back over to John. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> way to get in there. Uh, as always, we're joined on this cast by Nick Nadavati. Instead of him asking questions, Adam's actually going to be uh, doing that role for us. Most of you know Nick from his various exploits across all the 40K universe. He's won just about everything you can win, um, and I think this is going to be a really good discussion because I know a lot of you are interested in Harlequins because they appear to be one of the stronger factions in Ninth Edition. Okay, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself <laughs> and go ahead and introduce Adam, <laughs> and we'll get started with this discussion. All right. I've never gotten to introduce myself before. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Nick. I'm interviewing... I'm getting interviewed on my own podcast for once by John Adam. Adam is this guy from Australia who does a lot of commentary from LVO for 40K. He's also good at the game 100 years ago. Uh, was on the Australian ETC team a couple times. I think he's retired now. That's why he does commentary. So, um, <laughs> And we're here today to talk to me, I guess, about the Harlequin list I've been using in 9th edition for a lot of success. Um, I'm having a lot of fun playing it. I think Harlequins are really underrated army. I'm excited to talk about them. I think they're on a meteoric rise, aren't they? Hello, everybody. I'm Adam Camilleri yeah. from the Art of War Down Under podcast and everything else associated with Australian 40K and all the other 40Ks and everything else and all this other stuff. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Nick. We're here to talk about clowns and what they're doing. And they're kind of being on this cusp of greatness almost, if that's true, Nick. Yeah, I, I've been destroying people. I'm very excited about them. Yeah, let's let's hear about what you're playing with, what you're using. Yeah, so uh, I've been doing a lot of Soaring Spite stuff instead of Frozen Stars, which is the norm. Uh, I'll get into that, I guess, in a little bit. But there's a Soaring Stars Battalion and a Soaring Star, sorry, Soaring Spite Battalion, uh, with a Troop Master and Shadow Seer. The Troop Master, I kind of kit out uh, with the Twilight Fang Relic, super strong, and then I'll get him the additional pivotal roll for uh, Darkness's Bite, so I do an extra two Mortal Wounds. Then I got a Shadow Seer. Uh, he's really there for Twilight Pathways and minus one to hit, and uh, he casts. He's got a six inch minus one to wound aura and he's gonna have minus six inch range aura as well. So like he's doesn't he's doing a lot for me. So I also give him the domino shroud, so once per game he can just teleport to a specific place and screw with my opponent. Um got five units of five troops, just with three embraces in each of them, trying to go a little lighter on the weapons here. And then five star weavers to ride in for all of those girls. Then we got Big unit of Skyweavers with Haywire and Zephyrglaives. Two units, two Skyweavers with just Haywire. No Zephyrglaives on those. And then a little patrol, uh, another Shadow Seer, another Troop Master. These ones are kind of more stock. Uh, and then two big units of troops, uh, each of them being nine man with uh, seven embraces in one and seven kisses in another. And that's the list. Nice. So are you able to break that down? Like how many characters, how many troop, how many bikes? Yeah. So in total, it's uh, two Troop Masters, two Shadow Seers. So four characters total. 
gives a 12 assassinates at most. Then uh, five units of five troops in Star Reavers, so five boat girls packages. And then two big units of nine just walking around. Uh, and then a unit of five Star Reavers and two units of two for nine total. Interesting. Um, no, no DJs is my first, my first point of call. Yeah, so no Death Jesters, no Solitaire. I threw out the Harlequin playbook for this one. Um, obviously, I wasn't trying to be a contrarian. I just fell into it. So I started with Death Jesters and the Solitaire. And I played a few games. And the Death Jesters felt good when there was something big and scary I wanted to hit no, with no Overwatch. Mm-hmm. And then the more and more I played 9th edition, I felt like it's really easy to get around Overwatch now. Like... Terrain density makes it easier to, uh, to charge from out of line of sight. Kind of just the way the game works. With lots of small units now, you can usually use something, especially in the Harlequin list. Like, here's a leftover troop. She'll soak the Overwatch for me if I really yeah. care. So I didn't get that much value out of the minus two movement. That was nice, but, like, not worth 50 points. So yeah. because the Overwatch I kind of, like, can just mitigate by naturally playing, I think I could save the 50 points there. But then the other consideration was if I lose the Death Jester, then I lose Hero's Path on my Solitaire, which mm-hmm. lets me once per game, or not once per game, but once for two CP, just pick up all three characters and put them somewhere else. Really good trick. But then I looked at my Solitaire, and it's like, he's actually been underperforming a lot lately too. Something about like the the new like Toughness 5 Marine meta, and then being only AP1, it, just, it doesn't connect anymore, I feel like, at least not against what I'm playing these days. So I just cut that whole package. Well, yeah, because he's got a very good profile of going and killing intercessors, but he just straight up bounces off like uh, Salamander's Eradicators, doesn't he? Toughness five and ignoring the minus one that he just straight yeah. up bounces, yeah. Right, right. They're like, not just not like Outriders, they're not infantry and mm. they're T5. Like a lot of, they're not, he's not bad versus Blade Guard, but Blade Guard can also just pass three up saves and like it was one, and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, exactly right. But uh, it's also I suppose- hard to charge the Judicar too. I suppose you're saying that in because you're talking from a place where you feel like uh, Marines have polarized the meta, yeah? Yeah, at least I feel like they're coming that way. So mm-hmm. definitely that's influencing a lot of my decision-making here. But other armies that I think are doing really well too uh, that I don't think he's particularly useful in are like Sisters, they can ignore AP1 and also resurrect themselves. Yeah. Custodies are just like too tough to kill, even for the Solitaire. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the same would be said for, for Death Guard as well, yeah? Yeah, Death Guard. You can't really kill Death Guard characters in one go. And then yeah. Admech, you can kill whatever characters you want, but you can't kill Call with the Solitaire. He's just too mm-hmm. tough. And nothing else matters. Like, oh, I killed an Electro Priest or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I suppose you're saying that in the fact that you have the, I suppose you have the, the Choppy Choppy Troop Master as well. The... Yeah, I have the Choppy Choppy Troop Master. So if I still want to go nuts on a unit, do a lot of damage to it, get some mortal wounds out there, I can still kick someone's butt. It's just I don't have to do it twice. So can you explain that to listeners? What's that package for the people at home? You're saying they don't know what choppy choppy boom man means? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. Maybe they don't. <laughs> Who knows? Wow. Guys, come on. Um, How long have you been listening to this podcast? No, it's a troop master. Um, mine's actually not the killiest version of it. Mine is Soaring mm-hmm. Spite, so I can use some tricks with that. We should talk about that. But he's got uh, – it's called the Twilight Fang. It's a relic. What it does is it's strength plus two, so strength five, minus mm-hmm. three AP, and two damage flat. And you get an additional attack for the whatever battle round is. So turn one, you get one extra attack. Battle round three, you get three extra attacks. Yeah. And two masters start with base five, plus like whatever battle round it is. Mm. Maybe plus one for frozen stars. You can get like eight, nine attacks in the sky without stressing about it at all. And then you're already you're hitting on twos. You're rerolling all your two wound rolls. So even with strength five, you're wounding like T seven really hard. You're 
like regular dudes just dying, especially intercessors. Minus three, flat two, it's great profile. Uh, and then at the end, he's got Darkness's Bite, which is his uh, pivotal role, which you buy him, which does an extra two mortal wounds to any unit you just attacked yeah. at any point. So one trick I like to do is like, um, there's like a smash captain with just a couple wounds left or any character really. You can have like one attack go there, instant two mortal wounds, that problem just kills itself, and then like eight attacks into the thing you actually want to kill. Yeah, exactly There's right. some nifty tricks you can do with that. Now, so the, I guess you alluded to a, a talking point before, that being you're not playing Frozen Stars, you're playing Soaring Spite. What's the go there? Like, obviously, I, I would be of the opinion that Frozen Stars was not head and shoulders above everything else, but at least on par, if not arguably better, especially going into what a lot of people perceive as being uh, the Space Marine meta. You just need all the killing power you can get. So why have you mixed it up? Yeah, so I started on Frozen Stars too. Again, I wasn't trying to be a contrarian. But the re basically, I found... Anything, there's very few times my Harlequins actually make it their strategy to kill the opponent. The army, at least the way I'm using it, is very, very focused entirely on playing the mission. And any killing it does is basically just because it can, not because it wants to or mm -hmm. needs to. So what I find is Soaring Spike gives me a lot more trickery to play the missions really well. You can use the, the stratagem, I think it's called Sky Stride or something, which lets you consolidate a unit of troops towards uh star weaver instead a of towards yeah. the three models and you can go six inches so mm -hmm. you can use that to go I, I imagine a scenario where i have a star weaver and a union side and like maybe 15 16 inches in front of me is an enemy unit and then like 10 inches behind that enemy unit is an objective or maybe like six inches behind it i can run get, get the troops out advance them forward the Star Reaver flies past those dudes, lands on the objective, and then the star, the troops then charge the troops or whatever that are staying between them and the objective. And then I can yeah. consolidate six inches towards the transport, just steal the objective right from them. Mm. You can spread out your five troops and can probably contest two objectives at the same time doing this kind of thing. All of a sudden, you just flip the primary score 10 points going your opponent's turn. Yeah. But it's, that's it's an amazing trick when you can pull it off. And on top of that, there's a lot of other – you're just adding another movement shenanigan into the, the place exactly. of the movement shenanigan. Yeah, that's, that's just, have. right. So then you have that. You have the Twilight Encore, I think it's called, which lets me, like, move, move. after attacking something. Yeah. I have the one that lets me chase you when you fall back if I'm a Harlequin troop. There's so many just things to watch out for. That's how you really win with Harlequins, in my mm -hmm. opinion. They're just not brutal enough to be a I'm-going-to-kill-you type of army. Like, don't get me wrong. They can kill stuff, but that can't. They're not going to compete with 2,000 points of Space Marines and see who dies first, you know? So there's this, uh, there's a concept that I don't think gets a lot of enough mention on, especially the podcast I do. I can't talk about the podcast, all the podcasts you got gentlemen do. But there's this weight of knowledge that an opponent's army brings to a table. It's almost like you have this uh, knowledge score that gets attached to each list that you, you play against. And it's the amount of knowledge you need to be able to um, fundamentally and appropriately engage with what your opponent brings. And as soon as you, as, what, exactly what you're saying there, Nick, you're adding another feather to your cap, you're adding another point onto the information score your opponent needs to know if they're going to adequately account for everything you can do. I suppose that's something that Harlequins always do, isn't it? Yeah, and like it's it's a hard thing to do. I I don't want to confuse everybody with saying like I win by gotchas. You know, it's very easy to do that when your opponent may not be familiar with your rules. But one thing I like to do is just kind of I'll walk my opponent through my rules through the game. Like explain to him like mm -hmm. all right this is what the strat that lets me chase you. This is how it works. This is the strat that I can use to fall back and stuff. Um, and I'll kind of explain to him and then I leave it to him to figure out all the creative ways I can yeah. apply those things. Like that, yeah. my job isn't somehow to beat me, but it's like, I can make him aware of the rules. He can use his skills in the game to decipher that. 
And, you know, that's how I get away with, I, f- I feel like it's fair, I should say. Yeah, well, you de-burden yourself from the knowledge, but it's up to them to make it intuitive to to find the, the practical application. To find the, the combo, game. yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so you, there's no, there is no gray area there. You're actually just exactly giving them all the information. Um, but yeah, so y- your boats, yeah, no fusions on your troops in the boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's a that's a new change. I was I started with all five units in the boats, like everyone would tell you to, and mm-hmm. then I cut down to two, just two units of boats with fusions, and I still think there's probably merit to running. Anywhere between zero and two, zero is probably maybe you want one. But basically, the idea is they don't actually do what you think a fusion blaster should do. Um, you there's a, it's hard to actually use them. So a lot of times with your Harlequin troops, the way you're playing the army, you want to be getting out, advancing, and charging with your obsec troops to get them into specific places. Yep. And you can't advance and fire if you get out of your transport. So you just don't shoot the fusion pistols the way the army plays in the mm-hmm. rare circumstances when you do want to keep troops in the transport uh for there's a variety of reasons and then you want to shoot your fusion pistols they it can work it's fusion it's five melt guns you know that could do a lot of damage it's way more common in my experience that five shots is just three hits because there's no rerolls yeah. three hits is like two wounds and then they passed an invul, or maybe you're shooting through the forest and it got a little harder, or whatever it is. It just doesn't even kill. It doesn't even kill a tank. It like kills like a third of a tank. And this is like a basic rhino or half a tank. Yeah, like, I think tougher just doesn't get done. And I've found that as soon as you use them and they like they bounce, you've just traded the unit. Like, and yeah, you've, you've, under, you've, under, you've under traded. Yeah, because usually you're exposing yourself significantly to get that job done or to try and get that job done. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've I thought about playing one. Uh, if I had a, it's not a priority for me, so I haven't found the points, but I could find the points, give you an infusion pistols just to keep people honest. Sometimes I get people to be overprotective about it because it's mm-hmm. scary. Five fusion guns, it could be scary. And then also, like, I maybe I can get a character here or there that someone just leaves hanging. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, John, do you have anything, anything to add? It's perfect. I do. I do. I want to jump in. Um, Nick, I think it might be really good, especially for our new players, to sort of have you paint a picture of what your overall game plan is with this list. Yeah. Because it, it is a lot of jank, I think, is a fair way to put it, right? But what what is it you're trying to accomplish on a game-in and game-out basis? Like, what situations are you trying yeah, to put your so thoughts that's a great in? Question, John. What's I your think overall strategy? Anyone who doesn't who looks at it on the servers could definitely mistake the strategy with just kind of fly five boats and five and nine star, star skyweavers. Yeah, the five star weavers, the nine skyweavers, double advance the troops, double move them twilight pathways and charge and blitz and that's a strategy. Harlequins are combat army with fusion pistols and stuff. But that's not how this army plays. It plays very patiently, reserved, doing exactly what it needs to every turn, nothing more, really. So by that, I mean I'll hide my whole army um, out of line of sight turn one if I can, if I get a nice corner ruin. I'll spread it out so my opponent has to go to weird angles to see me, and then if he kills one boat, then he can't really pivot fire to kill others because of line of sight issues. I'll make really cool use of the Domino Shroud in conjunction with Veil of Illusion. Uh, Veil of Illusion reduces enemy ranges when they're shooting my Star Reavers or anything in my army by six inches. So I'll have the Veil of Illusion guy like specifically measured out so like my opponent would have to advance to shoot me or something like that. Um, or I'll do it where like I have half of my army on one side of Ruin and half my army on another side of the Ruin. And the Veil of Illusion guy is by one of the halves. So my opponent moves to shoot the other half, and then I like domino shroud over, which is the once per game teleport, and just make that veil of illusion to all of a sudden. So there's just a lot of 
trickery you can do to stay alive. And then mm. every turn you're just doing that. I'm going to contest two of your objectives, get engaged on all the fronts, deploy a scrambler, maybe kill a, like a small unit of chaff on the way in. And when like you're firing fading the, the five-man Skyweaver squad a lot, uh, you're waiting for openings on enemy characters, you can go run in with 10 troops and kill them all. There's a lot of, it's a lot of just patiently snipping at your opponent until he screws up and then using really, really fast speed to pounce on the screw up. So if I understand correctly then, you're playing sort of like a null game where you're not really engaging with your opponent except exactly on your terms, which is what I mean by that is you are denying them the ability to score a lot on primary to get ahead of you because you are playing sort of a passive game, uh, and that's why you're using Soaring Spite. But all this time, you're just waiting for your opponent to make a mistake so you can capitalize on it. Um, and so you're using the Soaring Spite and the speed of those Star Weavers and the ability to deploy the guys after they move or whatever um, just to keep you in the game so yeah, that you have absolutely. time to play. That's like a great that synopsis of what I do. This is a this is a Nick Nunavati special, isn't it? Like I, I, const- I consistently see a lot of your lists. And you're always working back to what I feel like is double speed Yanari. <laughs> you're always consistently working back to this. How many possible levels of jank can I push into a list that's both dynamic and patient? Yeah, that's that's pretty much my mo. I love the exactly that, like fast, dynamic, patient, reactive stylist. That's my jam. Mm. A question. This might be a little bit too nuanced, or we're going too deep down the rabbit hole. But you got a unit of four bikes, unit of five bikes. I'm assuming that started in Battle Scribe as a unit as two units of five bikes. So what happened to the fifth one out of the second squad? Did he no, turn no, into no. Troop? It's a unit of five bikes and two units of two bikes. So it's oh, apologies. Yeah, yeah that's completely different. But yeah, but you are you are right though. It actually did start as two units of five bikes, and then what I found is I didn't want to I didn't want to like leave one hanging ever. So like I wanted to fire and fade one. Mm-hmm. But then the other one would just be there. I could give it a three pinvol, but now my bikes are demanding two of my command points to turn one for fire and fade, one for three pinvol. I can't really afford that when I'm playing Harlequin. So then I'm like, I don't really want a five man that just gets shot. So I'll take two two mans. Now I have some less commitment stuff, so better screens when I need those, or when I'm going for my weird fly across the table contested objective play while score engaged on the all fronts. The unit's gonna die either way, but now it's only two bikes that are dying. So the theory, the Siegler theory on on the Siegler theory on like the two units, of, the multiple units of two drones, that would hold true for a lot of other units. Yeah, in the game, it is similar. You feel like you're exploiting a, a lot yeah, of the overrun. It's very similar. Uh, it's, it's like not mm. shooting the star, the two man skyweavers. People like don't know how to do it. It's it's so yeah. weird. And then yeah. um, it's nice for shooting vehicles too. Like you fire your five man at a fresh vehicle, and it's like, all right, I killed. I did eight out of ten damage to it i just need to finish it off if you only had one other five man now you're playing this guessing game like, like i want to not send all five that way maybe i'll send three to get the job done but like is it really going to take three what if it takes four you know like mm-hmm. two and two it's like i'll just shoot the two man and see if it dies see if it doesn't then i can know how to allocate the remainder hmm. so is this a list you feel comfortable taking to a, a gt or a major like if you were going next weekend yeah, I think so. So its hardest matchup that I've found so far is White Scars. It doesn't really hold up the White Scars well at all. Um, it's not that it's so bad at it. It's just lights, White Scars do a lot of the same stuff that I'm doing, but they're mm-hmm. Space Marines and I'm Harlequins. And, and yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm assuming we'll deep dive some of the matchups in part two. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So aside from that, though, I feel pretty great with the Harlequins. I think they're great. Mm. Um, tech choices on your your shadow seers and troop masters. Do you, how many pivotal roles are you buying? 
uh, two. So one true master gets darknesses bite, so he can be the Fang Master Bro that yeah. kills people. And the Shadow Seer gets the extra pivotal roll for the minus six its range, so I can do my tricks there. Mm, of course. Now, so you're, it's, it feels like a lot of Harlequin's lists, and this is just talking from a generalist perspective, feels like a lot of Harlequin lists really pivot around that defensive buff from that single unit, that single model. The, being the shadow seer, the minus yeah. the wound, and the, uh, yeah. the minus six inches range. Is there a is there a nerf coming down the train? Is there any meta changes or meta shifts that you fear in the future? Not not really. Harlequins, I feel like, are pretty like unoffensive. So mm -hmm. I hope they don't leave, leave me alone. Make me better, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. One thing I wanted I wanted to ask Nick about, and I, this might be a little more detailed, but I noticed that your two nine man troops. You basically have opted to give all of them the same weapon instead of sort of dividing it up. Can you kind of explain that, the thought process behind that? Because I, I find that to be pretty interesting because most Harlequin players I see are sort mm. of like some number of yeah. kisses and some number of embraces, right? To sort of balance out the units to give them more individual or uh, more flexibility. I think it's because I have two raw units. power in the thing that um, you're going for, right? And maybe it's just more like a stylistic thing because I don't know if there's actually a correct breakdown. Like it's so situational dependent. So one's always going to be more optimal than another in a different situation. So I think it's a bit of his style. But the with two units, I have a lot of dudes with the D3 damage in one place. So if I'm fighting something like a bunch of Nurglings where I want to be D3 damage, mm -hmm. or if I'm fighting a bunch of characters that are like three up, four up, I might as well be AP1 D3 damage. It's way more efficient. So then I can put all of my buffs into this squad and this one and make this one the playmaker, and it's really going to make the play. Or in the other case, I need the Embrace squad with all the AP to kill the Ignoring AP-2 Custodies. That's going to be the Playmaker squad, so I'll put all the buffs into that one. And I typically find that putting the buffs in one unit and letting it go once is enough. Yeah, and then with Twilight Pathways, right? Yeah, you, you sort yeah of get exactly. Like people, engagement. I don't like relying right. on it because, you know, Wait, six so rollable. Like, you know how I roll dice. But <laughs> it's, it's, it does pass, and people definitely have to respect the fact that it's there because it's so lightly to pass, and I can swift the, swing the game so hard. So in saying about the, the use of the troop, do you ever find yourself putting either of those into reserve? Actually, or anything into reserve? I, I haven't actually yet started anything in reserve. I've thought about it, but my army's so fast, mm -hmm. I can just kind of go wherever I would want in the first place. I do use a new stratagem, though, fairly often. Um, whatever it's called, it's from the new White Dwarf Harlequin update Harlequin's got. Um, there's a 1CP strat to put a unit into reserve, and it comes down the next turn. Normal rules, 9 just away, nothing crazy. And yeah. I'll do it to finish off my scramblers and engage in all fronts on like a turn 4 or 5 if there's no better way to do it for just 1CP. Like I'll take the CP, I regen the turn, and just put it to that. Now, perfect segue into talking about CP. Um, how, do you, how do you weight your CP expenditures? Are you front-loading, mid-loading, back-loading, consistent throughout the game? Um, and how many do you feel like you start with most games? So after it's all said and done, I buy a patrol. So I'm down 10, two extra pivot rolls is eight, one extra relic is seven. So I start with seven. It's not great. I don't really have any region because I just keep nerfing player of Twilight. I never roll it anyway. Um, hmm. So I'll pretty much kind of look at the game and think about where, if I'm going to have a big, if I'm going to have a big troop unit squad, like where I'm going to make it fight twice, extra damage and just go nuts. If, if it looks like it's going to be one of those games, if it's a game against a lot of tanks where my Skyweavers are going to have to fire invade like every single turn and it's going to revolve around them doing everything. Or if it's a game where I'm just going to use movement jank and pretty much nothing else. Because that really dictates how I spend it. So if I start with like 7 plus 5 CP throughout the game and I know my Harlequin Bomb doing plus 1 
to damage at some point and fighting twice and probably auto advancing six so i don't screw it up that's like a five six cp package all sudden done so i'm only thinking yeah. about playing with a few cp left and pretty much i only use those just to make my movement stuff work like consolidating the directions i want to and stuff uh and then there's the oops i failed the psychic power so you want to keep a couple in the back pocket for that. So it really depends on the game. But yeah, that's I figure out which of those three archetypes it'll be. If it'll be the Skyweavers pulling the weight, if it'll be the troops pulling the weight, or just the army doing stuff. And if yeah. it's either the Skyweavers or the troops, I'll have to budget for that. All right, well, I have another question. But before we do, let's take a quick break to get a word from our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Okay, Nick. So, you know, we, we've kind of got an idea of what your overall strategy is and sort of how you're playing the game. Um, did you consider any other... Yeah, so the I spent a lot of time tweaking the, uh, this list. I'm still not sold like this any other the final version. Or, you know, potential swaps. Um, I have this, another this list that's nearly identical. Basically, it just takes out um, five troops, just a five-man unit of troops in the Shadow Seer, and adds in five racks and a homunculus, which gets me the Vexator mask. Uh, a little swap, I end up starting with six plus D3 CP instead of seven, so more potential there. It's kind of something I value. And racks are kind of nifty because they have tied to traders as a strat for more back pocket movement shenanigans stuff. So that's an option. Um, I thought about adding spears, but I haven't really explored that idea yet. But other than that, it's just shifting troop squads around and moving boats. There's not that many units in the Harlequin book, unfortunately. The Webbygate, I don't even think it can be deployed anymore. And Voidweaver's really just terrible. So it's really just the Solitaire and Jetchester, and I already went into that. With the... Um... With what you said about adding in spears and what you said about adding in, I guess, the, the soup kind of elements, is Vect ever a consideration or you just don't think Vect holds the same weight as additions it did last? I just don't think my army can ever afford to Vect. Like, I, I, that's the third yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get the idea, like maybe there's a theoretical moment where it's worth the four CP to Vect. And maybe if I can actually think of that theoretical moment, then I can then I can say this is worth considering going back to, but until I can figure out what the theoretical moment is, it's obviously not that big a deal. 
So in talking about VECT and uh, whether it's worth it or not, do you feel like the way people have, uh, people are spending and using CP has changed from last edition to this edition, Nick? Yeah, I think so. Because the way you, you structure your CP now, you're getting one, then one, then one, then one. You end up seeing maybe a little bit of a front load in the beginning, but mostly just a lot of one to two CP strats, which you might vect once in a while, but they're pretty low value. They're just useful strats, I find. And the, the armies that really front loaded or had these big strat bursts, things like GSC, things like Orcs, things that they've really dropped off. It's, and and the, I suppose the other factor being the Psychic Awakening has changed a lot of those two CP strats to one CP strats. Like, do you feel like you just don't need it? Yeah, I, I really, there's just not that much worth vecting. There's no, I'm really more based on like if, if there's a specific situation where it's going to change my matchup fundamentally to be better, like, do I need to vet? I don't just vet because I feel like it, you know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. And you were talking about spears. Now, a lot of your army seems to already be quick and relatively punchy and dynamic. What would spears add that you don't already have? Straight, six, AP four, two damage. The perfect profile, the kill space marine thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very fair. You wouldn't think about adding things like indirect fire if you, you know, I know you like to play a very patient I, game. I did consider nine shadow weavers for a little yeah. bit, but as the meta got more space marine, I felt like they would do less and less useful things. Yeah, that's very true. Especially with Sally's being the, the prevalent one there. Yeah. Um, let alone uh, what we know is going to happen with possibly. Well, I th did you guys watch the one preview? Yes. Yes, I did. Did you, John? So they. I did not. Uh, I've been. Uh, I took my son back to school, oh. and so I've been sort of out of the loop all weekend. Dad duty. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but they've alluded to the fact that uh, I mean, Blood Angels, Dark Angels, Space Wolves are going to get super super chaplains now, and possibly super apothecaries, um, which we'll see what happens with Father of Future. I'm kind of hoping it, it goes the way of the dodo, but we will see. Yeah. Uh, what what other bills have you had for this? Like, what version is this of your Harlequin Harlequins? Like, is this version twenty, version ten, version five? This is like version eight hundred ninety four. I'll probably come up with eight hundred ninety five and ninety six on the plane ride home in a couple of days. <laughs> um, and where do you see that going? What what kind of builds are you looking into? Where's the alternatives? It's not so much there's alternatives. Like there are there are things I do want to try still with that shining spear and Harlequin build that I still haven't really written yet. I've thought about like adding some ravagers to the Harlequins to also again alleviate some of my marine issues. Um, but these are more concepts. It's all just little tweaks, though. Like, like I like the core of Star Weavers and Soaring Spite. I like that a lot. Um, the Sky Weavers could go if I replace them with other anti-tank mobile type things. So there's just tweaks to the list. I'm not sure this is the final version. I need a couple more thousand versions. Uh, can I ask you about your anti-tank capabilities? I've, I've always found, and forever I have found, um, Harlequin bikes far too spiky to, to, to feel reliable. How do you find them? Um. Yes. So when I first started using them, I absolutely hated them to the point where I just vehemently stopped using them. Um, they were just spiky and they rolled bad and I was always sad about them. And then since then, I've kind of come around and been like, I miss them, even though they were terribly <laughs> bad to me. So they came back and since bringing them back in, they've been well behaved. So I can't complain too much. They've been doing good for me lately. But I think it comes from having low expectations. Um, basically I expect between the nine of my Skyweavers that I can kill a Rhino or like an Impulsor, something like yeah. that. It's entirely possible that I don't, and I, I won't rest my game plan upon it because I can't trust these things, but they should. And that's like all I need from them a turn. Just like do a thing a turn so I can win a shooting war. 
Yeah, so and, and saying that you you want to play patiently and you, I suppose you don't want to be pulled into a protracted shooting war, yeah? Like he wouldn't yeah, want yeah. to be back for three turns against an admin gun line. No, 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 certainly not. I would only try the shooting war when it's like he doesn't really have guns, I don't really have guns, yeah. but but my I don't really have guns can at least kill one thing a turn. That's like how you win a shooting war in this kind of army. So like I want a shooting war versus demons, you know, like something like that. Yeah, I think I think I know what the answer is going to be here. But and, uh, and with a five round, five turn game, it's usually like you look at your opponent, you look at the table, and you like you know which turn you need to commit. Are you finding that's pretty predictable for you, or do you think it's you need to be more fluid consistently? Uh, you, it's definitely one of those things that I still struggle with. It's uh, it's probably one of the harder things to do with this army is knowing when to commit. It's I find all my losses come from when I commit too early. And then I run out of steam by turn four and then turn five, they just catch back up on the scoreboard and I lose barely. Um, so then you want to commit later, but you have to not lose too much of your army playing the early games because you have to still be sacrificing your units to keep his scoreboard down and achieve your secondaries yeah. and whatnot. So you have to find the balance between still hit him while you have enough to hit him with, but not so early that you run out of steam thereafter. So what does that look like uh, unit-wise? Like what are you using to do your pinch hitting and your... I suppose your your little bits and pieces. Usually, there's like some side skirmish fighting around the the kind of the because the objectives are generally spread out in this edition now. So there's like where your, most of your opponent's army is, and then there's like some small stuff on the sides doing objective stuff. And we got calls, so that's good. So yeah, I'll the side looks like maybe five star weavers, five, five sky weavers with the Zephyr Glaives are beating up like five intercessors on the flank. It's something small like that. My troop master with the Fang, he'll go in for some side killing stuff like that. He'll kill like a unit of intercessors or whatever by himself. Um, and then I'll use the soaring spite stratagem on those kind of things to like a little hit and runs to get him back in the star weaver afterwards. So little stuff like that often happens. And then whatever my opponent's like kind of big beefy unit is, that's typically where I'll do the big bulk fighting with my mm-hmm. like nine man troop squad with all the weapons. Um, like I've used it against like Mark Perry's demons. I've like dogpiled into like 30 nerglings and just fought twice, made myself damage two and saw what I could get done. Uh, I've done that versus like Admech. I'm just going and see how much stuff I can touch in one go. Yeah. Like that's when I'll make the big plays. Mm. How, like so, there's a couple of really great defensive buffs that Harlequins have. But how resilient are you finding them? Do you find you just evaporate if you have a bad turn, or you still find they they hold up? I think that's the part of the skill to Harlequins because they do have defensive buffs, which lets you cover up mistakes a little bit more than you should. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had turns where I just don't fail a four up and I'm like, wow, like yeah. my army's unkillable, and then the next turn everything just dies because I got too greedy with it. So, um. Your best friend is the minus six inch range one because if you can just not be shot, that's so much better than anything else. Your second best friend is minus one to wound because that's just a really good one. But it doesn't work on your vehicles or your bikes. So I try to be very cagey with those specifically, keep them out of line of sight, and then use like the range to keep my troop safe. Do you ever pay the the CP to turn the neg one on on the bikes and vehicles? I have done it once. I have not done it once and regretted it. And then like 99% of my games, no. Um, so I think it's a good back pocket trick where you want to like, I'm going second versus admic. I don't have as much terrain as I'd like. We need to make this stuff work. But I don't look for reasons to use it. Your CP are more important spent on movement stuff. And that's really what it is. Like my one of my units die, they get overkill because it's like 
I just put five troops in a Star Weaver in front of 2,000 points of my opponent's army. You know, there's no defense in the world that's going to save that. Yeah. Um, in, in talking about this, the, the plus six inch range one, that's something that I thought would lose value due to the, the shrinking of the board. Um, do you find it's still, it's still the best defensive buff you can get? Um, no, it's, I actually make use out of it like one every three or one every four games. But I find when you make use out of it, it's tremendously powerful. Mm. So for one CP, I think it's worth bringing because like when you want it, it's like such a game changer. But you don't always use it, which sucks. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, exactly right. When it, when it is huge, it is massive. John, do you got anything to add? No, I was just try, trying to wrap my, my mind around like sort of how the game flows. Do you find that you score a lot of lower point games then, Nick? Like, do, do you find that you're not really maxing your score? You're more denying your opponent's ability to max his score? I'm kind of curious how that plays out for you. I typically find my game score in like the 60s or 70s. Um, my, my primary score doesn't usually hit 45 because all I'm doing is like barely acknowledging half the objectives on the board, but just capturing the other half. So I, I usually score like a 30-ish, 35 on primary. And then engaging all fronts is super easy or domination. It can be even easier in five objective missions. Either way, that's like 12 to 15 points easy. Then scramblers is a pretty safe 10. I already talked about how you can use the strat to pick your unit up and put it down over there. If you do the rack variation, you can just teleport. A lot of ways you can do that. Um, last one's a bit harder. I just look like I, I have enough shooting to, to get bring it down against certain armies. I'm really good at assassinate if they bring enough characters. Uh, I'm not terrible at grinding them down in a pinch. I have enough psychic power stuff in the two double shadow seer version to actually attempt some of the psychic secondaries and the mission secondaries aren't always terrible so you kind of just play the third one i wish while we still we fight was a good option for him but it's just not usually hmm. yeah that's fair um and what, what are your what do you feel like your end scores are like what what is your i mean, I, I i don't want to presume so that you're always getting can... kind of it can definitely range. Like my score doesn't typically change unless it's an absolute blowout. I'll almost always score like sixty-five to seventy-five-ish somewhere in there before paint. Um, but then, if it, I, I've blown out opponents so bad they scored five points on primary and like, just, yeah, it's not even <laughs> close. And then I've also lost games where my opponent won seventy-five to seventy-two. So. My score is like not changing. It's just going to score that 65 to 75 range, just doing what it naturally does. Hmm. My job is to keep you below that score. And if yeah. you can, that's it. Yeah. I suppose that's what Would I was... you say that it's not a great list to take to events that don't have enough rounds to get yeah, to one Yeah, definitely. This one. is a win loss list, much more than it's a hmm. battle point list. So if you're playing in a battle point format where you need to absolutely dominate, create differentials between you and your opponent. Maybe not the right list for you, but in the team format, this kind of list could be very, very useful. Good pickup, John. And I suppose I was drawing light to that question because I feel like I'm hearing from the people who've got maybe a hundred games under their belt now that their scores with different armies are getting very, are getting almost predictable. Like they, no matter, no matter what happens, good or bad, I'm going to end up around here. And no, so, I, I, I wouldn't say I played a hundred games on it, but in like the 10, 12 games I've played, that's been how it is. Um, mm. It's not predictable, though, because Harlequins are so dynamic that every time... The way you do things, I always find myself like learning stuff and being creative about the problem solutions. Like The, the ceiling of options in Harlequins is basically limitless, and I'm really just enjoying mm. exploring it. 
So in saying that, we've, you've, you've, put, you've touched on two archetypes, that being like all the fusions and the bikes in their face, and then what you're, you're kind of taking a more measured approach. Is there a third archetype? Um, sort of. There's like a horde defensive Harlequin style, which I've not tried. Uh, I've heard there's middling success with it from like some players in Europe who I know have tried it. The basic concept is you take like lots and lots of troops, like five, six, ten-man units of troops, probably six, ten-man units of troops, um, maybe a patrol for 30 more, honestly, where you go to Dark Elder and add like 60 racks. And then you just have this four-up invul, minus to wound, toughness five, obsec, horde that moves through things and just obsecs every objective. Nothing's easy to kill. Yeah, I could see it working. I just haven't personally tried it. I don't have nearly that many Harlequins or racks. <laughs> that is totally <laughs> understandable. Uh, so what- that sounds like one of those absolutely horrible ETC slash WTC lists, Jeez. like the exactly what you know is. the hundred and twenty the hundred and twenty plague bearers or whatever. Yeah, it's very uh, much like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the I'm never going to get a bad score. I'm never going to get stomped. I'm never going to give up a, a twenty list. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think people shouldn't play those lists. I don't. It's know. it's like- nah, it's not exhilarating to me, which is why I haven't really taken it seriously. I'm having so much more fun like learning the quins. Exactly right. So. That does lead me to a question then, Nick. Um, so you've only played this 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 list, like you said, 10 to 12 times, something like that. Yeah. Do you feel like you've even come close to unlocking the full potential of the Not list? Or do you feel like no, no, no. There's a long way to go. I find still every game I learn something new about this army. And a lot of times, especially in the practice games I play, I'm not really playing tournaments right now, but um, I guess except for this weekend when I'm in the Art of War stream tournament. But the... I find the Harlequins, like, I'll try stuff with them just because I've thought about the situation where I could use it just to see how good it is. And a lot of times it's not that good or, like, it's super situational and that was the wrong situation. But that's part of the fun to it. You have to, like, see 200 different possibilities and then be able to pick out the exact one you need to use right there. That's, like, fun for me. I don't know. So you you would describe this as a as a technical high skill capitalist then? Very much so, yeah. Because it's like it's your army's made of tissue paper if you just do it wrong and then you get killed in like a turn. Is there a have you conceptualized how many reps it would take to, to get a proficiency with this list? Like uh, how, how far how far into Harlequin <laughs> before you felt like you really understood what was going on? I would say they're about as complex as my Gene Stealer cult was last year, mm-hmm. and that took me six months of like going to GTs and stuff. In, in my specific position, I could probably achieve similar results a little bit faster because I like literally only play Siegs, Mark, and John. But yeah, six months during my normal GT season, I would say. Well, there you go, listeners at home. If you're playing Harleys and it's not quite working, have some patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I think the, the takeaway from that is if, if you're going to play Harlequins, make sure you're in it for the long haul. Uh, the, there's no quick, there's no quick, no easy answer. Yeah. Um, there is a, a, a tremendous journey you get to go on to really learn how to play some technical 40k, and it'd be very rewarding to do so. It's very rewarding. So I think with Quins. you really feel like you've like yeah. played your opponent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's one of those armies where some armies, the end goal is to win games. So like you might switch to Marines, and then I'm not disparaging Marine players, but you might switch to Salamanders because. You, or, or even a better example is Iron Hands in 8th edition, right? When yeah. everything was broken with them, you would switch to them because you would just pick up some easy victories uh, just by outmuscling people. And that wouldn't be particularly rewarding past the fact that you got to win more games, which is rewarding in and of itself. But this army is one of those armies where it's not so much about the end result. It's the journey that you take while you're playing the games that is really rewarding, right? And if this is a hobby like it is for all of us, you know, except for Nick, Nick is like the only professional that I know. Um, 
it's it's a uh, how to describe this. So I'd recently read a study where they they show that you get more dopamine from doing things that are very difficult for you and achieving success than you do from the actual achievement of that success. So what it, what it really means is that uh, from a psychological standpoint, it's way more rewarding to do things that are very difficult. And I think we all intrinsically understand that, but to see science that backs that up. So I guess that would be the reason why you'd want to play Harlequins, right? It's not because you want to increase your win percentage. It's because you want to go on that journey, I guess is what I would, it's a long way to say that basically, but. Mm-hmm. I agree. Got it. Science by John. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I played Mono Guard um, throughout all of seventh edition when Guard were absolute garbage and for the, exactly the same reason. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those armies that you can always like improve. So you're never going to walk away from the tail being like, my army's just garbage. I can't do anything. Or at least you can walk away from it that way. But like, it's really you as the general. At least I feel that way. Yeah. You were talking about how, um, Harlequins have a few limited ways to cover their ass, essentially, to, to dig themselves out of trouble when they get in too far. Um, maybe you want to describe a few of those, just so people are walking in not thinking this is entirely uphill, like you don't have yeah, any yeah. safety nets. So there's a lot of janky stuff you can do with Harlequins for digging yourself out of holes. So one thing this army does very well is it covers up its mistakes. So imagine a scenario where I have a lot of troops just on the table, like a 10-man unit, a 5-man unit, stuff like that. And my opponent is multi-charging my army and like with like lots of his units. So obviously he's going to swing with one, kill it probably, and then I can interrupt. But you can do a lot more with that with Harlequins with your interrupt. You can interrupt for two CP, then you can consolidate six inches towards your Star Weaver and leave combat, get onto objective and put Obstic on it, going into your next turn for five points. You could take that same troop squad and just straight up move it eight inches and do all kinds of stuff with that. But that's, you could do both theoretically. Like if you have one unit troops eventually just live and you could both go in different directions. Um, there's the, the sky is pretty endless for Harlequins. Um, like you could get into your transport and then have your transport in combat also leave with different stratagems. There's so much jank with it. Um, what are some examples of the stratagems? I mean, you should, uh, which, which one? Sure. Um, I don't know them all by name. But like I said, the one that lets you um, fall back from close combat after making your attacks, um, uh, yep. make a full inch move. So the, there was a wonderful trick I used to do with the the Ravenwing uh, dead vigilist attachment, where someone would charge me, or they they try and tag into two units. They charge like a, a Talon Master and a, a unit of scouts or something on an objective, and then they kill the scouts, and with their second attack, they'll try and kill the the Talon Master or something because I just had to get the obsec down and make sure he was dead first or something. Um, and then I 2CP interrupt with the Talon Master, then I 2CP leave after I fought. Um, yeah. All, all, you give so done. many tricks like that. You basically do that like 15 times a game. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's playing Harlequins. Yeah, but it's, it's knowing when to do it, how to do it, because you can also very easily spend four command points moving troops. Mm. It's like, what just happened? Oh. Psychic powers. What are your go-to's? What are you? What are you? Do you always take the same, or do you have a flex? Or uh, I mean, you have to write it down now. So at least I'm sure. trying to play by that way. Um, I go for the one that's uh, I cast on my own unit. And it's minus one to hit, and then I go for Twilight Pathways, which lets me move uh, twice. That one's pretty obvious. You just want to be able to move twice. Great rule. And then minus one to hit. I find if you do the minus one to hit and then Prismatic Blur, which is a CP to give yourself a three up invul when you advance, mm-hmm. 10 troops, minus one to hit, minus one and one three up invul, actually pretty hard to kill. So, yeah. like, that's the difference between your opponent just easily killing 10 to only killing eight. And then, mm-hmm. 
you know, a dude lives after the morale check and you just have an OPSEC guy who can still scramble for you, can still engage in all front on you, steal an objective for you. And now it's a very, like, useful little tool you have. So every little model you have around the table is very useful in this army, which means your opponent gets very punished for leaving stuff barely alive. So I, I'm going to take our minds back to a couple of months ago when I did the very first episode of Art of War Down Under, just to plug my own show. But uh, <laughs> we did an episode on Harlequins where you told me that one of the best ways you can think of playing Harlequins at that time was to run Asaman and then um, put a bunch of uh, four plus inbound bodies on the board through Dire Avengers. Where did that concept die and how did you switch back to, to Mono or Prime? That concept died because it kept getting charged and getting killed before it could do anything about it. So uh, I struggled a lot with Blood Angels. They would basically just blitz me and I would not have an army anymore. Um, mm -hmm. World Eaters was pretty rough for it. Uh, not that everyone's running World Eaters, but I live with Mike Perry. Um, so there were just, like, anyone who just blitzed me. I, and then I also lost a game to uh, a Triple Keeper of Secrets Demon Army. So it's like, I, I can't handle getting blitzed. So I needed to go a different direction. There was no easy band-aid for that one. Totally fair. So in saying that, you pivoted back into to full Harleys or did you go through a journey of finding other um, suit plugins before you came I, back here? I went through a lot of journeys throughout Ninth Edition, learning like every single army. So on my Dire Avenger Harlequin list, I kind of just took a lap around every faction in the game and then decided I want to play Harlequins. <laughs> Good. I actually, <laughs> I actually like that because you think it would go the opposite way. In, in ages gone by, it would be the, oh, I tried playing Mono Harlequins, didn't work. I'm yeah. going to soup to the soup to the nth degree, and then you end up playing like a couple of right. characters, and like, <laughs> you're essentially playing Craftwells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any thought to adding any of the Inari characters? I have thought about adding the Incarn so much. So she didn't make the cut. I had a very interesting adventure with her when uh, when I was building my first iteration of the Harlequin list. She was in, and that morning, Games Workshop put out the first FAQ that said vehicles under 10 wounds or whatever don't block for characters and i was like well my army of star weavers can't block for the incarn this is terrible so i cut her and then i played a game and she wasn't on my list because i cut her and she i didn't have it and i didn't mind it and it was it was good harlequins are good without the incarn then the next day games workshop reduce like goes back on their faq and now says the star weavers do block for the incarn but i never went back i never tried her because i just like it worked so i fix mm -hmm. it if it ain't broken but i do want to try it. i i I do love playing the Incarn. I'm not gonna lie; it is maybe the most fun. Model She's so fun. She's. I love her. I should try her. This is inspiring. She. I think she fits your mold. The the. Oh, she does. She's so much style. I pa love using patient, her. Yeah, patient and dynamic. Like it's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think she's phenomenal. But uh, in saying that, the other thing I was thinking of with Yanari, uh, superb that John was on the same thinking as me. They bring another psychic tree to the table, and because you you, you pretty much only said there's only two powers you value out of the harlequin tree are there any you see that you want to grab in from others yeah i've thought about like adding cat lady for some psychic powers obviously the incarn just on the try list forever um bizarre not so much but i just don't think the the cat lady brings more to the table than another shadow seer instead at the same cost yeah that's much. fair i will i've always I've always yeah. thought, what does is, what is she bring? What does um, the Farsia bring? The Farsia right. has, more, has more reliability with its casts and is more and less susceptible to the, the perils as well. And I just thought the Farsia... The Farsia, I can't just uh, slot in. But I, I have actually considered Yanari for, like, a lot of birds. The Razor Wing Flocks, like, I could run a lot of those. Or even just three into three. Any, um, between, 12 and, between 9 and 36, I don't know. Um, 
And you would take that with the, the, the you take the incarn, you make her fearless, and you give them five Finvils yeah. and six of female pain. It's quite annoying. And Harlequins right now, when this is an expensive package, this isn't just gonna like I'm slotting it in. This is I'm rewriting my list. But um, Harlequins don't have cheap bodies, don't have cheap wounds at all. And these things are like they fit the build perfectly. They're like annoying. They're fast. They mm. fly. They're cheap. This is everything I want in a unit. Can I just say? Yuck. <laughs> I have nothing but bad, bad memories of race. It's, it's not 200. If that makes you feel better. It does make you okay. feel better. Before, before we start talking about too many to get way off the reservation and start talking about razor wings and stuff. I mean, I, I think it's interesting, but I think we should bring the discussion back to Harlequins. And actually I think we're at a pretty good stopping point here. Don't you think, Nick, is there anything else you want to Did you just end our, our razor list? wing flock conversation prematurely so you could end he the did. podcast? He did, man. I, I did because I know where this goes, which is deeper and deeper into a hole <laughs> in which we will never get out of, right? <laughs> if you say so. That's, that's, I'm not wrong. That is where you use Vect. That's, that's the Vect position. That's the Vect. You need Vect for that. <laughs> right, right. But I, I did have one final question for you, Nick. Hmm. If somebody was going to pick up Harlequins with an eye towards being competitive, like, what's the one piece of advice you would give them? Ah... Uh... Don't be afraid to lose games. This is like John and Adam mentioned earlier. This is a marathon, not a sprint. This is not, it's a very rewarding army to play. It's a very fun army. It's a very strong army once you learn it. But if you're like looking for quick, easy win buttons, this is not the army for you. So be patient and stick with it. If you do really want to feel really cool after you beat somebody, though, it is the army for you. Absolutely. You want to feel like oh, you're yeah. the smartest in the room. That's why I'm playing Harlequins right here. Big brain. <laughs> awesome. Love it. Adam, any more questions? No, nah, I think I think you, after you've you've vected me, I've slowed down a bit, taken a breath, and yeah, good spot. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on this episode where we talked about Harlequins. We're going to move over to part two for our patrons, where we will get into matchups. And I do think I know we say this all the time, but I do think the matchup discussions are going to be really interesting because Harlequins are so flexible and have so many sort of tricks of the trade. Figuring out how to apply some of those tricks in individual matchups, I think, is going to be very enlightening. Mm. Um, so, patrons, we'll see you over on part two. If you're not a patron, I don't know what you're waiting for. We have fantastic information. In my opinion, the part twos are all better than the part ones in general uh, if, if you want to learn how to optimally play these lists. Um, and last but not least, hopefully you found us on the Frontline Gaming Network. Uh, if you did, great. If you didn't, you should go check it out because there is a lot of fantastic podcasts, including Adam's very own Art of War Down Under, hey. which is, I I would call a kissing cousin to this podcast. It's very similar in format. So if you like what we do here, you would definitely like that podcast, along with, obviously, old standbys like Chapter Tactics. Um, what's the other one that's on there? Oh, Signals from the Frontline. And, of course, 40K Today has a weekly roundup on there. Okay, everyone. Thanks for stopping by. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect, connect. 
on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.